Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the privilege we have of worshiping Thee. We ask now for the gracious ministry of the Holy Spirit to take your own word and enable us to see Jesus, enable us to reach out and to touch him and to receive the blessing which we came here to receive. Or if we did not come, help us now to think of what we really need most from you and to touch in faith and to know that blessing and to go from this sanctuary made spiritually whole. We pray that you will receive these gifts which we bring and superintend their use to the end that they may bring honor and glory to the blessed name of our Redeemer, in whose name we make our prayer. Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to have to get some sideboards for the pulpit up here. It's very beautiful wood, but whoever made this doesn't preach. Uh, this um, Wednesday afternoon, I came home from the hospital in Asheville from the heart path. I was very tired after having had a treadmill test, and in coming uh, back home, I debated in my mind whether I should go by to see George Bergen or not because I had to prepare for prayer meeting. But it just seemed like when I came across the railroad tracks in Black Mountain that my little car went into automatic pilot and turned left and went up the hill and I found myself over at George's house. I went in and Corrine, his wife, had taken him into the living room and helped him to be in a chair there. It was a very hot day. I could tell he was in great pain, and she had given an injection to alleviate his suffering. He recognized me, but he had to speak with his eyes. And when I looked in those eyes and thought about George, my mind went swiftly back to two and a half years ago when I went to see him in the hospital and he was told that he had cancer of the pancreas. I can remember very well after having preached again on a Sunday evening in Asheville going over to the hospital to see George. George had never made an open profession of his faith in Jesus Christ. He worked for 16 years for Billy Graham on the mountain here, had been 21 years in the United States Navy, was a combat veteran of both Vietnam and Korea, and one of the bravest, kindest, most loyal people I've ever known in all my life. I had talked to him before about Christ. George was almost innately shy. He knew that he didn't have the education that a lot of other people had and it made him a little bit reticent about coming into a sanctuary such as ours or feeling a little overpowered by some of the people that he was around. He knew that his grammar was not always 
the best and he did not always understand the words. But what a heart. Well, the evening in the hospital that I went to see him, he seemed very happy when I came in. He said that he was glad that I had come. He said, I looked at that window a while ago and I thought I would go over there and tear this stuff out of my face and jump six floors down to the parking lot. I don't want to go through what I have to go through. But then he said, I remember the times that I asked God to save my life. And he heard my prayer and he saved me. And I knew that he had done too much for me to allow me to do something like that. And I said, George, I'm very glad that I came tonight. And I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And he said, of course I do. He said, I never felt easy about getting up in public or going into a place. And I said, George, you need to be baptized. And in his own sweet mountain way, he said, I was hoping you'd do that for me. And so I took other officers with me and I went there with Dr. Graham and Mrs. Graham and others. Richard, I think, was with me. And we went to the hospital and I baptized George two and a half years ago. We took communion there in the hospital room. And the Holy Spirit was present. And George's life markedly changed from then. And then two weeks ago on Friday, George sent for me and I came by the house. He had a classic automobile that was a Pontiac. He called it a Pontiac. And George said, said to me, Calvin, I'm going to need you to say some words over me. And he said, I give that Pontiac to Franklin and told him to sell it and do some good with the money. Then he told me how a big black thing seemed to be coming for him in his dream and how there was a white light and he felt it was the Lord speaking to him too and that it wouldn't be long. I read to him scriptures about heaven and George and I prayed together and I kissed him on the forehead and I left. And then last Wednesday when I went by there and saw him, I knew that it must not be long. And so at prayer meeting, I asked our prayer group, I said, you know, the Holy Spirit tells us, uh, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And when we do not know how to pray as we ought, then the Holy Spirit helps us to pray right. So if we're praying wrong, the Holy Spirit will correct our prayer. But I believe George has suffered enough and he knows the Lord. And maybe it's time for us to pray that the Lord would release him from that pain if it is his will. And so we made that prayer. At four o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. And when the phone rang, I just said, thank you, Lord. 
because I knew what had happened. Maury Scobie came by and picked me up. We went over to George and Corrine's. George and Corrine were two of the closest husband and wife I have ever seen. When George was baptized, Corrine was baptized. They loved each other with a love like you wouldn't believe. And when I went there, her heart, she said to me, but I didn't hear him. All I know was that when I woke up, I couldn't hear him breathing. And I said, Corrine, the Lord answered our prayers. We prayed that he would have a peaceful journey into the presence of the Lord. And there was just no struggle. This morning, Bev Shea called me from Canada. And he said, tell me about George. Another man called from Moorhead City. And yesterday morning, about 10.30, if you heard those shots that rang out in the valley up there, you heard the military as they fired a salute in honor of George. There was a Linda Davis there from some little Baptist church here who sang how beautiful heaven must be. And it was classic country and absolutely perfect. All of us felt caught up by the Holy Spirit. And George was laid to rest on that mountainside. And when I thought how George came to the Lord, I thought maybe that's appropriate for the passage of Scripture that we have today. And appropriate that I should tell you about it. I've said in the bulletin, do you really want to touch Jesus? Why did you come to church today? Because it's a dull habit? Or did you come to be a sermon taster? Or to criticize the music? Or to look at someone else's clothes? Or why did you come anyway? Look at this. This is in Mark chapter 5. It's also in Matthew 9 and in Luke 8. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. It's interesting, uh, physicians were not highly regarded in the time in which Jesus lived. They were classified along with butchers and uh, uh, pigeon trainers and merchants and other people like that. And Luke uh, deletes this. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, now I assume we came here because somewhere we've heard about Jesus. She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I will be made well. Did you come here desperate enough to reach out to say, if I can just touch him, in a word that's spoken in prayer, in a hymn that's sung, by the holy associations of this place, 
If I can only touch him, he can make my life different. I can break the dreadful habit that binds me. I can be loosed up and freed by the Lord. Hate and rancor and bitterness and criticism and jealousy and envy can go out of my life and I can go out of here determined that I'm going to be a better Christian and live for Jesus. The man from Moorhead City who called me said that the thing that keeps us from touching Jesus is pride. We can be proud that we're rich. We can be proud that we're poor. We can be proud that we're learned. We can be proud that we're ignorant. Pride is a subtle thing. It's the reason that keeps most people, the sin that keeps most of us away from God. One of the very most brilliant people that I know is a man who told me that in coming to church, he came home one day and sat down and he has five earned degrees. He said, I have been too critical of what goes on in church. I've thought of how I could do it better. And the Lord has convicted me of this. And in going back to church, I'm going to see if I can't go in an attitude of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. One that really, in humility, wants to reach out for the Lord to speak to me. And the Lord has blessed him because he has assumed that attitude. Because he wants to be fed. Sometimes when children come to the table and they do not eat their food, we look at them and say, what's wrong? What's the matter with you? Why aren't you hungry? When people are not hungry, for the word of God, when they are not hungry for forgiveness or correction, they will not be blessed. When you become desperate, you will reach out and touch him. You will reach out and touch him. I know that from my own experience. I have been through some pain and suffering. I can remember a time being in a hospital when I did not think the pain would go away. And I was waiting for an injection to alleviate my suffering. And Oral Roberts came on the television screen. And he said to reach out and touch the TV screen. Presbyterian. All the education and everything else, when that nurse went out of the room, I touched that TV screen. <laughs> if there was anything there for me, I wanted it. You say, well, you ought to know better than that. Well, you may know better, but when you're hurting, you'll reach out. If you've got any sense. Uh, I didn't get healed, but I think I got helped. I got humbled. That's a dead sin. And if we are humble and we touch the Lord, he will speak to us. One reason that I had us sing 
from that hymn a moment ago of John Greenleaf Whittier's great hymn, the healing of his seamless dress is by our beds of pain. We seek him in the throng and press and we are whole again. A lot of people are here this morning. But I, a lot of people are listening to me on the radio. But out of all of the people who listen and all of the people who are here, I wonder who's really praying in church? Who's really worshiping in church? Who's really reaching out to touch Jesus? If you really reach out to touch him, no matter what you've done, he will heal you. He will make you whole. She said, if only I may but touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. She would have been ceremoniously unclean, unable to go into the temple. Anyone who touched her would be unclean. And yet Jesus, Jesus healed her. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And here is an interesting verse. Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him. In Isaiah 53, we are told that by his stripes we are healed. That he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. If you read carefully in the Gospels and you read about the healings that Peter and John perform, you will never read that any of the apostles felt that virtue or power had gone out of them. Power is dunamis, the word from which we get dynamite. And the Lord's power had gone out of him. There was something exhausting. All the time that he was living and when people touch him, it hurts him when we sin against him. Last week when we talked about the elder brother and his angry, hateful attitude toward his brother who had come home, who absorbed that anger? The father who came outside absorbed the wrath of the elder brother to try to make peace between the younger brother and him again. And that hurts. I have to absorb anger and people have to absorb it from me. You wouldn't believe it, but everyone doesn't like me. <laughs> uh, it happens. Now here, he felt that virtue had gone out of him, that power had gone out of him. This is unique. It is a part of his atonement which he has made for us. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Who touched me? Who touched me? Now, why would Jesus make this woman make a confession of this frightening condition, this humiliating disability and infirmity that was hers. 
Why does he want you to make a public profession of your faith or to be baptized and to take the Lord's Supper? He does not want your faith to be based on superstition. If Jesus had not called this woman to come forth and admit who she was, she would have gone away saying, I have gotten a cure from God. But instead, she was able to go away and say, I have a Savior. I have a Savior. Not just a cure. I have a Savior. Do you really want to touch Jesus? Whittier, in that wonderful Quaker way, and the Quakers can teach us a lot about worship, I think that one reason Tamar Jim Baker goes on trial and one reason I think all of that thing got out of hand was that people wanted to get into the entertainment business. Worshiping God is not entertainment. It can't be. It's too serious for that. It demands of us change. It demands of us humility. It's serious business to come here. It'll be serious business when you leave, whether or not you really put it into practice and it makes any difference in your life, whether you confess your sins or live publicly before him. I mentioned George's death the other morning and do you know what happened? Ruth Graham came there at 6 a.m. in a house coat. She was supposed to leave at 9 o'clock for Kennebunkport in Maine to be four days with the President and Mrs. Bush. A private jet was waiting at the airport. And Corrine said, Ms. Graham, I know you've got to go. And Ruth said, I don't have to go. I'm going to be right here with you. And she said, but you've got to go. Ruth said, I wouldn't go if Billy died. I'm going to be right here with you. I want to help you. After the service yesterday, she left. That's class. That's deep calling unto deep. That's loyalty. George Bergen has been up that mountainside in snow every single hour of the day and night, shoveling the snow away. When a tree fell in my back, uh, on my parking lot and I was sick last winter someone came by and cut the tree up into wood and stacked it there and hauled away the brush we called all around the neighbors the association the different people that we knew and tried to find out two months later I found out George Bergen had done it that's the way he operated in 1974 when I came back from London with a stroke and the Grahams put me up at their house to recuperate I saw that tough mountain man as tender as a little child coming back to help me and to make me comfortable in my pain. You don't forget things like that. And a class lady doesn't forget it. And I'm sure Barbara Bush and George Bush would appreciate it more than anyone. Loyalty is precious. You can't buy it for money. She touched him. And Jesus said, who touched my clothes? And then his disciples said, 
you see the multitude thronging about you. All these people were touching Jesus. Uh, literally, the words here in Greek mean that it was almost suffocating. It was like being suffocated. The crowds were thronging to him like that. I've been with Billy Graham before when crowds would come crunching in uh, so hard that you would wonder if someone would be crushed by the crowd. And the crowd was like that. There's a crowd here today, but who's touching Jesus? If you can't, why can't you? Is it pride? Is it that you do not recognize your need? Are you hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Will you go away with a friend? Pride will keep you from Christ. But when you really want him, you'll reach out and touch him in faith. He looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Someone here ought to go home this afternoon and get out on your knees and tell him the whole truth about the people you've spoken ill of, about the things you've done that are really wrong and that you've glossed over or excused yourself for. Tell him you want that junk out of your life and that you want to live for him. And he said to her daughter, that's the only time in the Bible that Jesus ever called anyone daughter. It's a diminutive loving form, this unceremoniously unclean woman. And he delivered her from superstition by showing that she had an intelligent faith in him. Daughter, he said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, how is it with you? You know about the Savior. Do you love him? Have you really given your heart to him? Are you willing to follow him today? We're going to sing a hymn, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I want to give an invitation. If you would like to come down the aisle, I invite you to. If you would like to go away and pray about it, I invite you to do that. There will be one of our deacons here at the, pre at the front of the church to speak with you. And I invite you to accept Christ as your Savior. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Let us bow in prayer. Right now at this moment, things have happened so seriously this week that it is not my voice that I want you to hear. It's the voice of Jesus. Someone here needs to hear his voice today. I know it and I feel it. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That means he has power to heal you. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life 
and have it more abundantly. Jesus said, abide in me and I in, me, in you. Without me, you can do nothing. Jesus said, if any man open the door, I will come in. Do you believe that? Then say, even so, come. Come now, Lord Jesus. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore. Thank you.